they need a home, they can get a home loan. If they need education, they can get education. If they were hurt in service, we pay compensation. If you weren't hurt in service, but you fell on hard times, we give you pension. There's just an array of benefits out there for veterans, and we really want to just make sure that all the veterans know what's out there. Choose VA today. For more information, visit va.gov or call 1-855-948-2311. Oh, let's get it. Monday, September 27th, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highly unimportant resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. However, you listen to Born the Battle via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, the player inside the blog on blogs.va.gov. Hope you're having a good week outside of podcast land. End of summer, moving into autumn. Some places around the U.S., it's already autumn. However, if you are in a place with warm weather, make sure you enjoy the last taste of warmth before leaves turn. One new rating and one new review came into Apple Podcast. This one is from RJ08-12. It's almost like an R2-D2 type of thing. It says, great perspective. Love the podcast. As a VA employee, as a VA employee who does not interact with the public, I very much enjoy hearing the stories about our wonderful veterans. Uh, RJ08-12, you know, that's one of the missions uh, of this podcast is for VA employees to know who they're serving. And it's great that you listen in and, and take in that. So appreciate you listening. Appreciate the review. And uh, yeah, appreciate you. <laughs> As you already know, I'm looking for that next review. If you haven't yet, please consider writing one for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts. Doing so does help us climb higher in the algorithms, giving more veterans a better opportunity to discover and listen to the interviews, our benefits breakdown episodes, and hear what's in our news releases. It's also the best way for me to communicate with you. News releases, we have two for you right now, as one has already become passe and is outdated. I digress. First one says, for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs launched a new initiative with community dental care providers to help improve dental care access for veterans enrolled in VA healthcare who are currently ineligible for VA dental services. Vet Smile, connecting veterans with dentists in their communities, started early July to help eligible veterans access free or discounted dental services at pilot sites in New York City and New Jersey through dental care providers at New York University College of Dentistry, Zufall Health Center, and Rutgers School of Dental Medicine. So all in the Northeast right now. Vet Smile is a community provider collaborations for veterans pilot program. Say that three times fast. It's a pilot program currently. For eligible veterans who do not have regular dentists, partnering dental care sites will provide dental care and services. Depending on the community provider, the services offered to eligible veterans will include acute emergency dental care, preventive oral care, treatment of oral disease, dental restoration, antidontics, and periodontics. Additionally, dental care partners provide veterans with oral health education to encourage adoption of routine oral hygiene practices. VetSmile expects to serve 3,900 veterans through 9,000 veteran patient visits in the first year. The numbers are expected to increase as the pilot reaches other geographic locations. So it's in the Northeast right now. It's eventually going to expand. The program will carry on for the next five years 
and will be assessed for scaling and an extension. Sustained partnerships with the American Dental Association, the National Association of Community Healthcare Centers, and VA Dentistry support the development and success of the pilot. To learn more about VET's SMILE program, visit www.innovation.va.gov forward slash care and payment forward slash pilots forward slash VET SMILE. All right, and the last one says, for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs Caregiver Support Program is extending eligibility through September 30th, 2022 for veterans who are legacy participants, legacy applicants, and their family caregivers participating in the Program of Comprehensive Assistance for Family Caregivers, otherwise known as PCAFC. This extension applies to veterans who are participating in PCAFC before October 1st of 2020, individuals who applied for PCAFC before October 1st, 2020, and those who are accepted into the program after October 1st, 2020. So not applied, but were accepted into the program after October 1st, 2020. The extension will provide VA an additional year to conduct required reassessments of this cohort. The Program of Comprehensive Assistance for Family Caregivers offers enhanced clinical support for family caregivers of eligible veterans who incurred or aggravated a serious injury in the line of duty and meet other eligibility criteria. Benefits under PCAFC include education and training, enhanced respite care, counseling, a monthly stipend, CHAMP VA if eligible, and certain travel expenses among others. All legacy participants, legacy applicants, and their family caregivers will be reassessed based upon new eligibility criteria resulting from the final rule, which became effective October 1st, 2020. The department will initiate a large-scale effort to complete reassessments for this cohort. This effort will begin within the next several weeks. The earlier VA conducts reassessments, the sooner it will be able to assist with discharge planning for PCAFC participants who do not qualify under the new eligibility criteria. Discharge planning may include engaging the veteran and family caregiver and other services to include participation in the program of general caregiver support services, which provides caregivers with education, training, peer support, mentoring, coaching, and self-care courses. Questions about PCAFC should be directed to the local VA facility caregiver support program staff or the caregiver support toll-free phone line at 1-855-260-3274. To find your caregiver support team or caregiver support coordinator, you can use the VA.gov's facility locator. All right. If you know Black Rifle Coffee, Article 15, Range 15, you know this week's guest. He is an Army veteran, a former Ranger with three combat deployments, and he is now an entrepreneur, writer, producer, podcast host, singer, motivational speaker, and an actor with a current role on Mayans MC on FX. He's an overall entertainer. He is Army veteran Vincent Rocco Vargas. Enjoy. I'm digging the new setup that you got there. Thank uh, you. For, for the podcast. I love the background, everything that, that you got going on there. Um, and, and I enjoyed watching the process of you making it because while you're making your set, I was throwing soundproofing up behind me and calling it a set. But, uh, it was, it was, it was like, we were building that at the same time. It was cool seeing that, that whole process. Yeah. It's been, it's been tough and, and learning how to do this all on my own. And then, you know, I found StreamYard worked really well for what I'm doing. And, uh, it's just been fun, man. It's, it's actually more fun for me just doing it all on my own. And it's, it's my own baby. You know, you kind of, 
you nurture it a little bit more and you start to find what works, you know, and right now it's kind of in a cool, it's a cool place. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. No, I, it was fun watching your show today. Cause, uh, I've, I, you know, I, I was like, well, maybe I can do some research. And I was like, I didn't know you were a pitcher. I didn't know you had your own autobiography. So it was good to actually like listen to it and go, okay, there's some things I'm learning here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Cause I know you, were, I know you were doing the, the baseball card stuff. And like, I've been noticing that on your gram, like, I'm like, okay, he's going to trade cards again. Like we were like, I was in high school. Like I used to like, uh, um, trade like in poker with my friends yeah. trading cards. So, yeah. and then I'm one of the few Mariner fan, fans you'll ever meet being a grown up in Washington state. As soon as we had the Griffey one, I was like, yeah, that's cool. I used to live in uh, Washington when I was stationed in the military. And so Fort Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I used to go watch the Rainiers play all the time. Rainiers wow. is their minor league team. It's their, I think it's their triple A team. I think you go from Rainiers and you get pulled up. And so, yeah, I go, what's up, Pop? Go ahead. <laughs> My son's here. He's, he's, cause it's the summertime. Oh, I, I know you were, you said you were doing it on your own. I was like, well, you got some kind of set pieces there. Yeah, you got some people. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. <laughs> They're, uh, help me. So we're shipping cards, right? It's part of, doing these breaks. And so they're getting paid to uh, help me ship. Speaking of childhood memories, uh, you know, the first place here we always go on board in the battle is back to that time that every veteran shares that time that uh, we all decide that military service is going to be the next step in our life. Yeah. And I say it in that way, because, you know, like Vietnam veterans, sometimes they didn't have that choice, mm-hmm. but for you, what was the, when did you know that military service was going to be the next step in your life? Uh, it's when I lost everything else. Right. When I lost the one dream I ever had in my life was to be a professional baseball player. The one thing I ever thought I was good at was baseball Been playing with styles four, writing poems about it since I was five, you know, that was everything for me. Um, you know, I, I didn't date girls until a late of age because I was married to the game is what my coach used to say. And I believed in that. Right. I believed that anything outside of the baseball, the game would be a distraction to, to what the dream is, you know, um, and then I kind of just saw that life, uh, and, and notoriety, uh, kind of take charge. And that comes from in, it's insecurities. It comes from being, uh, not being mature enough to handle, you know, everything that comes with playing college baseball, you know, yeah. you become a, a name or you become a, a character. Right. And so, so back in the day when I was in high school, a coach named me goat. They actually, it was goat head, right? Goat head was kind of this. <laughs> Yeah, this joke that I was this kind of this, I'm just that guy on a team who's just a knucklehead, right? And uh, that name slowly kind of turned into goat and not greatest of all time. You know, just like, you're a damn goat. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you got a head for it. I can see Yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> and uh, that kind of, you know, that, that name carried a persona that was, you know, a party animal that was very immature. I played hard, party hard, you know, it's just this college baseball world. So that name followed me throughout college. Where'd you play at? Uh, first, first year I played in Valley Community College and then Glendale Community College. And then I went to play a summer up in Chico to a team called Chico Sticks and got a full ride to an NAIA college in Kentucky. Do you remember the Chico Heat? I know. I used to go watch them play all the time. Did you really? Yeah. I was a bat boy for the Grace Harbor goals back in the day. Are you serious? Yeah, man. That's funny. Yeah, the Western I, Baseball League. Yeah, we'd go, we'd go watch them all the time. It was, a, you know, it was, a, it was a small dream to, if I 
didn't make it to the show, I'd at least go get be able to play for the Chico Heat, you know. And yeah, I played some. I I it's kind of weird. I played on a summer team that was that we played against independent pro teams, and we're all trying to get picked up, you know, things like that. And so I've played kind of like around here and there. And you know, once once that dream ended, you know, it was it was a, a lot of things came crashing down in my life at the same time. I was 19 years old, and I got my girlfriend pregnant, who at the time we just weren't really having the greatest of relationships already. One, I was mm-hmm. immature. Two, we were both just young. Three, all of a sudden she's pregnant, and we're just like, "Oh, now what?" I felt like everything was was falling apart. Um, and if I if I kept going down the route with that relationship, I was going to lose completely my career. Yeah, and eventually I did. It was just immaturity. I wasn't ready to handle all this stuff. You know, I was twenty years old, had a baby in college in Kentucky. No, no, no mother, father, family, or anyone to kind of do checks and balances on me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I allowed this this name that followed me all the way to Kentucky Goat to to kind of be my persona. And uh, it's it's very funny because when I when I talk about this, it's very similar to veterans and trying to find their identity. I was in this phase from 17 to 22 of thinking I was something I wasn't. Already right. having to deal deal with something like that. Yeah, I, I already thought I had to be what they wanted me to be. And I didn't realize till later, until after I lost everything, like that's all, it was a, a BS thought process, right? It was an unhealthy thought process. I enjoyed the attention I got from people saying, yeah, man, let's go go play the game and let's go party after, right? This thing that I was like, yeah, instead of like, well, if I didn't do good, let's go practice harder, you know, whatever, or let's, let's focus on school. So eventually I became academically ineligible and um, it was kind of that big shift in my life. Like what next? Uh, I have a daughter in LA that I wasn't even able to pay for. I couldn't afford diapers for, you know, my mom told me that she'd be like, I bought her more diapers. I'm like, geez, that's, that's hard for me to take because I'm a, I'm a man who believes in a family and, and I wasn't even, you know, that relationship was hard to figure out. You know, everything was just weird, right? Like I didn't know if I wanted a relationship with that woman because it just, you know, it just was a, I was a kid. It wasn't really, you know, I kind of felt pushed into it now all of a sudden, you know, and then yeah, baseball didn't work out. So I'm like, well, now what? And I was like watching the war on TV and I was like, well, that's something I could do to kind of answer all these little voids in my life. <laughs> <laughs> can provide and, and do all that. So, right. so that was like around, around Oh three. So you had no anybody in, in baseball to, as like a mentor, like, Hey, it was like, there's nobody on the team that was like, okay, you did bad. Let's not go drink tonight. Let's actually do, no. do actually work. No, I had an old coach uh, in Glendale. Uh, we <clears> called him Sarge. He was a, he was an army guy and that, you know, became a coach and he now is one of the head dudes at YMCA and down in Los Angeles, California. Really good dude. He was probably the only dude that's ever kind of been like, Hey dude, you're screwing up and you got a lot of skills. Like you got a lot of talent, but you're screwing up. Gotcha. And, um, you know, I also didn't have that for my dad much. My dad was a big worker You know, he worked so much. And at the time it's, it's the, the generation of him. I don't think was that heart to heart talk. You know, it was just the, you know, you're not in, you're not in prison. You're not in gangs. Keep doing My you. job is to pro- provide for you. Right. And, and yeah, no, I yeah. Totally and he does it. a lot of more mentorship now as we're older. I think it's, I think a lot of those old school mentalities kind of just fizzled away and, and he's seen how, you know, we're all raising our kids differently now. 
that I think now he's he's more engaged. And I'm like, where, where were you when I was younger, big guy? <laughs> well, it's good that he's adapted, at least for the grandkids too, you know? Yeah. Um, my biggest influence was was my grandfather. So that's good to hear that he's adapting and going, you know what? You know, let's go back to, let's go back to it. Um, so you yeah. were talking about uh, seeing the war on TV. Did anybody else push you into it? Or was it just like, hey, I see, I see this on TV. I'm going to go do this. No, man, I, I just genuinely, I was sitting there next to a guy who used to be a Navy, in the Navy, and we we're having beers, and I was watching um, a Marine uh, put the flag over the Saddam statue and pulling it down. I think everyone kind of remembers it at the time. It was a very, very memorable yeah. video, and I think it was CNN or Fox, whoever it was, was interviewing his family, and his family's crying out of just pure joy and proud of their son, of being such an iconic moment. And it was kind of that self-reflection moment, man. We're like, man, I don't know if my mom and dad could ever say there's, there's anything in my life currently that they're extremely proud about. You know, I've kind of, I've kind of just kind of a uh, slept walk through my life right now and, and not really done anything with it besides playing a big man sport and not even doing that well, you know? And, uh, all these things that are crashing down at the same time, I think my family just kind of like more like worried. Like what yeah. the heck is this kid going to do with himself, right? He's got a kid on the way. He just got kicked out of college. Uh, you know, he's living in Kentucky, you know, all these weird moments in my life that they were just probably like, what is he doing? And, and I knew that. And I felt the pressure of that. I felt the pressure of like wanting to make my parents proud, but knowing that nothing I'm doing right now is right, you know? And, and, and that was the sobering moment was seeing that, that statue fall down. Watching how proud his family was of him is what it yeah. was. Gotcha. Right. Like, that was it. Not the fact that he was doing that was so cool, but it was the fact that his family was proud. Ate me alive. It ate me alive because I don't. I just feel like I'm. I'm more on the disappointment side of my family. Gotcha. That sucks. You know what I mean? Being that guy. Yeah. You know, I'm like ah oh, god. So that that kind of that that haunted me a little bit. I woke up that next morning, went straight to the recruiter. I know nothing wow. about the military. Absolutely wow. nothing. Wow. Um. Here's my path, and most people don't know the full story of this. Is that what do you know as a kid in the military? You know Navy SEALs. Yeah. They're the greatest marketing guys in the world. I went straight yeah. to the Navy SEAL side of thing. I went straight to the Navy and said, I want to be a Navy SEAL. And they were like, um, there's no slots for Navy SEAL. You'd have to pick a different job. You'll be an underwater uh, welder. I'm like, that don't sound cool at all. I'm like, nah, you know what? Let me go talk to these other dudes. Went to the Air Force. I had too many tattoos at the time already. And they were like, nope. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I, had no, I had a no insurance ticket that was the reason they denied me really yeah <laughs> i got a whole story about that when i first took over the podcast and the previous host interviewed me it's in the archives that's yeah i, that's so I, I basically walked in they basically said no we're not even gonna send you to maps wait till that's paid off and then the marine corps said i'll pay that and i was like oh that's the brotherhood of the marine corps they take care of their own also kind of like the mafia but yeah that's how i joined the marine corps they paid my no insurance yeah. ticket <laughs> oh, so I'm sorry. You you went to the Air Force. Somebody told me. No, you're good. Think about it. you walk into a hallway and you got exactly like this: Army on the left, Marines on the right, Navy back here, and Air Force back here. So it's kind of like you choose what's your path. And this is in a small city of Owensboro, Kentucky, is when I decided to kind of show up. <laughs> and so I, right away, I got, like I said, Navy SEAL sounds cool. Uh, that didn't work because I didn't like what his answers were putting me in. Like I don't want to do underwater, whatever the heck, welding. And then I went to the Marines and I'm already seeing the, the army's door. It says potential $20,000 bonuses. And I'm like, man, 
That sounds cool. Diapers. Yeah, diapers. <laughs> so I go to the Marines and say, listen, what's the hardest thing you guys got? I'm like, oh, we got Marine. I was like, cool, man. Uh, what kind of bonuses you got? The bonus is being a Marine. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. And look at my father's a Marine. So that guy was so familiar to me that I was like, nah, hell no. I'm not. Good. <laughs> Dude, I'm not. I ate that. I ate that up. The, the, the pride, the pride, you know, the thing is the beamer. Cause I was like, I almost went army calf cause it had like yeah. a $30,000 bonus or something. And, yeah. uh, yeah, but the other ones just paid my six hundred. You know, the, the recruiter just kind of slipped me a six hundred bucks to pay my no insurance ticket. <laughs> I took six hundred so bucks funny. instead yeah, of thirty k. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So I was just like, the guy reminded me too much of my dad. My dad was just so still to this day, like Marines, you know. And I was like, no, I'm good. So I went over to the, uh, you know, Air Force said no right away. Walked in, they're like, nope. I'm like, okay, my bad. <laughs> Walked out. <laughs> and, I actually was kind of turned off by it all. And I, and I went outside and I called my friend at the time to come pick me up. Like, dude, I'm at the army recruiter. Come pick me up. I, I at the recruiter station. Yeah. And as I'm sitting there waiting for the ride, the army recruiter shows up in his car, just dropped off someone. It seemed like he's like, what, what are you doing here? I was like, you know, I was thinking about enlisting, but I, you know, I don't know. He goes, well, why don't you come with me, man? Let's go back there. He's like, what do you think? I was like, I don't know. I just want to do something tough. Obviously, I mean, I played sports my whole life. I want to see what physically, you know, you could push me. And uh, I ended up taking my test and I took my test and uh, I scored a 108, you know, like a week later, whatever. I scored a 108 and uh, I wasn't high enough to get special forces. So I went Ranger. And so that's kind of the story, how it goes. And I got a $20,000 bonus. There you go. Got them diapers. Yeah. Um, so looking at the years, years of your service, you came in and actually got out the same years I did. 03 to 15. Um, you became a ranger, like you said, you served in three combat deployments, uh, with the second, the 75th battalions. Um, did you hit both mm-hmm. Iraq and Afghanistan? Yeah. My first deployment was in, uh, Oh four was, uh, Afghanistan and then Oh five was Iraq. And then Oh seven was, um, Afghanistan again. So boom, boom, boom. Uh, you also became a drill sergeant while you were in, give me either your best friend or your greatest mentor? Um, that's, that's pretty easy. Um, Sergeant Barraza. So I, I'll clarify a little bit real quick. Active duty 2003, 2007, got out, went to reserves, got activated again, 2010 for a year as a drill sergeant. And then still currently in at 18, I'm getting medically retired this year sometime. Got you. Okay. Got you. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my greatest mentor is, is Sergeant Barraza. He was killed in 2006. Um, you know, when you talk about, when you have these visions in your head of what the Marines are or what in an army ranger is, like we all kind of have this persona in our head, what we expect that would be. Um, and I remember showing up to Ranger Battalion and remember I'm, I'm an, an extremely good athlete. I knew that from the beginning. I knew that from basic training, realizing like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm smoking a lot of people because of athleticism. And I get to Ranger Battalion and I'm looking around and I don't realize Rangers are usually very, very small dudes. They're, you know, the average Ranger is probably around 250, 270. I'm already walking around 210, 220, mm-hmm. right? So 150, 170 to a 210, 220. I'm a monster around a lot of these young dudes, little guys that are incredibly good runners. 
Yeah. But you know, you give a guy a basketball, and some of these kids can't can't dribble, right? You get you throw off baseball, and they're like, "What the hell is that?" Right? Like, you don't realize. I thought everyone in the military was these super athletes, and so when I got there, I was like, "Whoa!" It was a little discouraging for me because I'm like. I'm going to go to war with this dude who can barely run, you know, but in the end of the day, these guys were good at being Rangers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it, it was kind of this, like, I didn't see this GI Joe stud. I imagined until I saw Sean Brock, he walked out and I was like, Holy smokes. That's a Ranger. That's a, that's a damn Ranger. That dude is a scary bastard, you know, physique. Yeah cockiness like this this confidence and cockiness blend that was just so perfect where i couldn't tell you know where one started and the other one ended right it was just like he's so good at what he does oh and he knows he's good at it you know what i mean and you could identify like that's where i want to be yeah that was the guy i was like how do i get around him how do i become more like him how do i and by chance man to be honest by chance i became a gustav ammo bearer attached to his squad and well, I, so, I'm not surprised that you were carrying ammo. You're talking about everybody's like 170. You're like coming at 210. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, big carrying guy, the ammo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And so my team leader in the gun team uh, was good friends of Braza. So he pulled us into first squad. And uh, right away, I knew me and Braza had a connection. It was something about, I think we're both big Hispanic dudes and he kind of was starting to mentor me from early on as he mentored everyone under him. But I I felt there was something connecting between us because it kind of, he always threw these little jabs at me and I was like, Oh, this guy, this guy gets it. Like he knows I'm, I'm just as competitive. I want to be there, you know, and we would Mm -hmm. do these, we would do these army ranger tab versus non tabs, uh, sports. And he'd be like, Vargas, get your team together. And it's like, he knew I was already, look, man, I was, 23 years old showing up as a brand new private, right? Like, so I'm mature compared to most of these youngsters. Yeah. And I was an athlete. So he'd see me play these sports. And so it was his teams versus my teams and get your teams together. And, you know, and, and, and this, this bond, it continued, it continued and manifested into even more where our families got connected, right? Where I was invited to a wedding. The only non NCO was invited to a wedding with all these other NCOs because I was one year older than most of these guys. Raza was one year younger than me, but man, if that dude didn't understand leadership, I don't know what, where he got it from. You know what I mean? He treated you like a person, disciplined you like when you needed to, taught you how to be the best and you expected to be the best. Um, There was something so, so awesome about how he mentored that I didn't have in my life. And, you know, I continued to till today to develop and, and also raise my kids in a, in a manner that was on Braza would make him proud. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so he, he was in your squad. He was the, he was the squad leader. Squad leader. Yeah, yeah. And I was attached to him. Yeah. Um, at the end of every episode, we do like a veteran of the day. Mm-hmm. Shoot me a bio. I'll make sure yeah. he's at the end of your episode cool. for, for the veteran of the day. Absolutely. Um, so you got on 07, um, you know, but you can, you were still doing stuff until about, about 15, um, man, you were running, um, starting small businesses, acting in shorts, uh, drinking bros came around 2015. What was it like? Get, I guess, you know, I thought it was 15, but what was it like getting out in 07? Um, yeah. you know, versus what, what kids get out today. There's probably, there was probably, I mean, I don't think, and I think it's fair to say this, that the VA, 
uh, nonprofits. They, they didn't know what, what they were asking for, what, what America was getting with this influx of veterans yeah. in like 07. Yeah. 07 was, it was interesting. Cause um, I was in Arizona at the time and uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really think to go to the VA for anything until I started to have my own issues, you know, I, mm-hmm. just the drive in from, from Washington to, to Arizona, there's these, these mountains, superstition mountains that give you this eerie feeling of uh, Afghanistan. And I already had a few of these weird episodes where I kind of just daydream and just let myself like, and you're sitting there thinking like, Oh, this would be a bad spot to get sniped. And you know what I mean? Like yeah. you find yourself in these kind of these daydreams of like situational awareness that kind of, and you're like, Whoa, that's not normal. Like there's something weird there. And then the drinking started to get really big and, and you started to get calls from your friends and, you know, I got the call from one of my soldiers that, you know, Leroy Petrie saved his life, you know, and Leroy Petrie, if we all know now is a Medal of Honor recipient, right? So yeah. one of my soldiers was saved and it ate me alive to know that I wasn't there, right? The, the FOMO, the fear of missing out was eating me alive. The, the ideas that I might have left guys hanging because I chose to, to get out and do selfish things like, you know, take care of me and my like family. have a life. <laughs> right. Exactly. And all those things that they Move built. On. Yeah. All these things they, they built me to believe that I was wrong for leaving. I started to believe them, you know? And, um, there was no major nonprofit out there helping guys. It was just, you know, figuring it out. And so I ended up going to the VA and the first thing, you know, they put me into the, the OIF, OEF category and, I knew I needed some kind of counseling. And the first counseling I ever had was a group counseling. And I walked, I walked out. It was like first break yeah. later going home because I, at the time wasn't ready for counseling. I, at the time was still very egotistical. I was still, it was too new for me. It was too fresh. I had way too much bravado of thinking I'm an army ranger. God damn it. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. thing, yeah, like I am, I'm better than this. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so, so you're I never, still figuring it out at that point. Yeah, it was too fresh, man. It was like, you know, yeah. you, you ripped the, the bandaid off and you, you still just didn't understand what was going on, you know. And so, you know, I went to school full time because I needed to pay the bills and and, you know, going from an E5 in Ranger Battalion with jump pay and, and NCO pay going out into the civilian world, like it's hard to find something that matches. Yeah. So I had to work full time and I had to go to school full time just to try and get myself back to it. I still had an AFI's card. I don't think I paid off until 2015. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> when you live paycheck to paycheck for so many years and then, you know, Washington Mutual used to let you uh, overdraw a hundred bucks. It was like every paycheck <laughs> that was happening, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, me, me and, you know, my wife at the time, we're just trying to figure out how to maintain ourselves. It was yeah. not easy. And so, you know, she ended up having to get a job. And, and then by that time, you know, my drinking, you know, I would, I knew the schedule of my buddies who were getting off shift and see if they can drop, and I knew their route home and they could just drop me off a, a six pack or a 12 pack or even a bottle of, you know, some kind of whiskey. Mm. And this became kind of a, a systematic thing that I was doing until, until, you know, this thing, like I, I'm, I'm a gamer, right? I, I'm a, not a video gamer. And I say, I say a gamer as in, I know when it's time to turn it on. I applied for the border patrol and, um, and when I knew I had a, go to the academy it was like i turned on the switch like it's like those guys who drink till four in the morning they turn on they're like all right water my face and let's go for the run you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was kind of like yeah. that where like i knew it was like oh, it was time to turn it on and so i started training for it and started training for it and 
Yeah. I got myself in good enough shape to get to the Sportsville Academy and figure it out. You found a purpose. The, yeah, this thing you opened exactly. up and you were kind of wandering, meandering. Uh, it's funny that you talked about gaming as as a better therapy than what you, that initial therapy was. Um, I'm a big gamer myself. I see it as therapy, you know, yeah. uh, 100%. Um, you know, and I, you talked about that, that initial, that initial time of walking into the VA and walking out. I did the yeah. exact same thing. I had a, I, I, have, I have shoulder issues. I have like shoulders of a six year old. And I knew what worked for me. Like I knew from the DOD trigger point therapy, you give that to me, you give me a couple of sessions. I'm good for six months to a year. Like yeah. I don't need anything else. Yeah. And walk in. And it's amazing how one person can turn you off of an organization that's over 400,000 people. Yeah. You know, so I, I walked in and, and it was a very bad experience. And I, I didn't walk back for back in for another four years. Yeah. Very um, similar. You know, so I, I totally understand that, uh, that, that feeling and that, that, and then coming back, it, it did seem like a very different place when I started actually working for the VA, yeah. going to a different, and then really taking control of my own health and like going, okay, you suck, but you're not the only one, you know, and then just yeah. hunting for the right person. It's, it's funny, you know, I, I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the VA here is actually really, really cool. Really cool. I've actually, I feel like they're very attentive and, and, and things get done faster. Mm. I struggled at some of the other VAs, you know, I, I mean, I'm not putting them on blast or anything, but El Paso was tough. El Paso was tough. And I think it was because there's such a big influx of veterans in El Paso, right? And you're mm. right next to that base. And so, man, I had, a, I had a heart issue and, you know, I didn't get a call until two years later after I moved out of El Paso to, to go to my cardiologist. And I was like, wow. I'm like, what happened? And that was probably before the advent of community care where you can, if it's, if you don't get an appointment within two weeks, you can go in yeah. town. So, you yeah, know? so now that, you know, that that's in place, it's, it's, it's changed a lot of things. And I, sometimes I request it. I said, look, I'd like to go outside of it because it's just what's comfortable for me, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, it was tough in El Paso because I just felt like there's so many, they were just bombarded. Barter left and right. Look, man, you have you have Fort Bliss, which is huge. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and all the veterans who retire, and all the veterans who retired before then are still. And so it was just um, it was an uncomfortable feeling to show up there, and you'd leave there very agitated and frustrated, and like you know, the, all the same old you know, I, I, ideologies of all oh, the VA. But I got to Salt Lake, and I was actually thoroughly impressed, and still am. I, I like the VA here in Salt Lake City. Yeah. No, community care was, was definitely a game changer for me. And, uh, we actually broke that down in a benefits breakdown in episode 251. So if you're listening to this and you want to check that out, breaks the whole thing down of how it all works. So, nice. um, so you got on, so, you know, around 2015 though, you really started running, uh, you started doing stuff, drinking bros came up. Um, how did you pre prepare yourself for that type of transition? And did, you know, I was talking to, uh, Billy Mills, Olympic gold medalist, yep. won 10,000 meters, the last time we, they had the Tokyo games in like 1964, nice. uh, Lakota yeah. warrior, good dude. Uh, also in the archives. Uh, he talked about dealing with the sports transition, like ending a sports oh, career. Very and yes, very similar to you. Um, and then how he related to ending his military. Now he did it at the same time. He did both at the same yeah. time. Was there anything that you took from your sports transition into your military transition and that, that would help, that helped. Uh, I'll, uh, I'm going to say no and yes. Right. Um, I speak to a lot of professional athletes as well on my podcast and mm -hmm. all of them are like, Hey, I, 
crazy story. I'll talk about that later. But there's a there's a baseball player that reached out to me. I actually knew who he was, and he was like, he he read all my stuff, and he calls me. I'm like, dude, we know each other. He forgot that we knew each other. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. we'll get to that. Um, you know, very blessed to play a high level of baseball and play it for so many years. A game that is built off of losses, right? The game that you're a good ball player if you bat thirty yeah. percent. Right. I was raised to learn how to lose. I was raised to learn how to bounce back. That's plain and simple. Yep. And so um, transitioning out of the military, hard because death, right? Losing friends. Yeah. Uh, you don't have that in sports, right? That's a, a, this is a different level of, of, of healing. Transition. Yeah. yeah. And so transitioning out of the military, losing friends, um, and learning how to cope with that. Uh, it was the hardest part and still survivor's guilt. Yeah. That was to me still to this day. There's moments where I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I imagine some of my buddies would be doing way more cooler things than I would. And so I think part of that is what my motivation and drive is and why I do so much is that I'm, I feel like I'm filling those voids of, of guilt. I'm filling those voids of, of these insecurities that I'm not good enough. And why am I, why was I given an opportunity? You know, and and it's probably just fill it with more sh- more stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and so I think being an athlete in college and transitioning out and figuring that out was hard. And I think that also kind of helped, uh, I guess, pad and pad and pad in the blows. You know, soften the blows from from getting out in the military. But the difference was the dynamic of the camaraderie that is, sure. that is life, oh, life and death. That level was something I didn't expect to happen and I didn't expect to, to still deal with. Um, and, and so there's a, there's always going to be that little bit difference and that little bit is, is sure. really heavy, you know, but it added so, some resiliency a little bit for sure. Right. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I like had experience in transitioning. Right. Life. Exactly. Yeah. Like I understand what I had to do personally. Like I had to figure it out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, I had to stay busy. Like, and part of the, my kids were the ones that saved me. Cause if it wasn't for having kids and feeling the, the obligation to make sure that they have food on their, on the table and a house over their head, I wouldn't have been so damn motivated. I think a lot of guys struggle with transition because they don't have nothing to drive them. Right. There is no driving sure. factor to make sure they, they, they just get up in the morning. The stagnant mm-hmm. is, is what kills so many people because one year leads to 10 and you're like, I still haven't done anything. Yeah. And so I didn't have that because the, the drive of trying to give my kids a better life and give them more opportunity would meant that I had to go work and meaning I had to go work meant I kept busy, meaning I kept my mind shut off for the time being until I paid those bills. And then that Friday night, Saturday and Sunday were my days of blah, drinking yeah. vomit, right? Just complete, <laughs> blah. you know, this, this binge drinker is like this, this functional alcoholic, uh, you get work done and then, you know, when you have those days off, it's like, well, now you're incoherent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did your friendships uh, help with this this time as well? I know because you guys seem like you, you somehow you fit a tight group between you, Matt Best, JT, Evan, yeah. Ross Patterson, that whole group when it when it first came, when, when Drinking Bros first came about. Yeah. I, um, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna jump right in and say yeah, this. Man. My early friends after the war did not help. They were they were all part of the problem. You know. And then when I, when I, you know, because we were all were struggling, dude, and no one had an answer. When I met Matt, JT, and, and, and those two, yeah, those guys were a better answer, right? As much as we were partying and drinking, we were also accomplishing something huge. How'd right? you all meet up? 
Well, me and Matt served together. We we okay. deployed we deployed multiple times together, Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, gotcha. And so yeah. when Matt was doing some uh, some other stuff in in the business space, and I helped him get connected to a t shirt company that, that me and my buddy used to used to deal with in in L.A. And then you know we just stayed connected. Rangers Rangers small world, especially if you yeah. deploy together, you kind of just all all know each other. Um, and then I moved to I got lateral transferred to. SOG special operations group in the border patrol in El Paso by chance, Jared Taylor is stationed in El Paso and that by chance, Jared Taylor and Matt became friends through film and editing and, in in partnerships, they created the rap battles mm-hmm. Matt would fly to El Paso and film those Matt flew to El Paso for the second time to film another rap battle. I was there. We had beers, boom, reconnected. Then he's like, Hey dude, you were always kind of a funny dude in range town. You want to jump in some of our videos? I'm like, yeah, why not? Boom. There you go. The the birth of Article 15 clothing, which they already established. They already had the business partnership. I came in and, and gained a small percentage of the company just because I was it 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 hit, right? We we put a couple videos and they blew up and I was like, Yeah, why not keep them on board? And boom, so I stayed on board. Um at the time I was working as a board of trade and special operations group, you know, just doing 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 things I believed I was super proud of and, and happy for. But in the end this of the day, this was a side hustle that you were like Yeah, it's a side hustle that turned into my Permanent, excuse me, the side hustle. I know, man. Sorry. It's all good. It's all good. I got the beeper. It's all yeah. good. This is a side hustle that turned into my permanent gig. And it was because why would I, why did I even do Border Patrol? One, I didn't even know the job existed, to be honest, as a kid. But two, my, my, my squad leader that I told you that was a mentor wanted to be a border agent. He wanted to be a special mm. border agent. So I was living his dream for so long and I was happy, dude. It was happy because I was doing the same thing I would do in the military, but now I'm doing an, an, a medical job for a tactical team. I'm trying to be the best medic I can for them. Um, I think it's a void that was in, in, in the border patrol at the time, a shooting medic, like a really good shooting medic that can join a team and, you know, kick indoors too. Yeah. So I was proud to be a part of that and help, you know, revamp their selection program and things like that. But um, it wasn't for me, you know, and I felt that when I, when I felt the, the thrill I got from being in front of camera, from, from filming and entertainment, that was something that spoke to me since I was young. Right. When well, you I talked like, about, you talked about writing poems as a yeah, kid, bro, five years know? old. I wrote a poem about like, freaking baseballs. And, and I said, there the stars in the sky were the home runs of the greats in baseball. That was a poem as a fifth grade, as a f- five years old in, in T-ball. Yeah. I'm talking about the home runs in the sky. Those, those stars are home runs from Babe Ruth and some of the greats. You know what I'm saying? My mind has always been like that, right? Artistically inclined. Yeah. And so I did theater in college and realized, man, I'd like it, but baseball's first, you know? Yeah. And, and so it all kind of got pushed to the wayside. What sparked that again was Article 15 clothes. Gotcha. Was being on film. Was getting this feedback like, man, it's so funny watching you. It's so natural. You know, I'm like, oh, cool. You know? The, the early days of the podcast, the early days of drinking bros. Yeah, all of that. Um, and, and you know, real quick though, all that started in 2013. Yeah. And that was like the slow transition out of the border patrol. Yeah. Yeah. I was a, I was an early adopter of drinking bros. Um, I think it was like 2015 or something. It's like during yeah. one of my long, I was working out of Charlotte and I was making drives to DC to see my in-laws parents or my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my wife turned it on for me during one of my, we were doing one of those trips. And I think the first episode I listened to was, um, it's like you all had a fight with Harambe. Or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like a Harambe episode where you guys yeah, were like, like, if we were like in- how would you fight him? How would, <laughs> yeah. you know? 
yeah. and just hearing like I'd take him. Like I was like, no. oh my god, these guys are hilarious. And then how you guys just said strike force energy. I don't know what it is. Still sticks in my brain. Everybody, dude. Um, that's 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 what um, <laughs> Ross Patterson has a way with words and how he you know art- articulates things. He gets strike force energy, and I'm like, oh my god, does he have to say it like that? But everyone like, but can- you guys would always join in and try like your own version of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, especially when I got out. Um, I was just getting out at the time, and and as there weren't many the veteran podcasts in the podcasting space, like you guys hit it when there wasn't anybody there. Everything we did um, at the time was we did it when no one was really doing it. Yes, it was like we really were the trailblazers of a space that we didn't realize, you know, needed. Yeah. And, and, yeah. you know, he didn't know, he realized we were that as good as we were. Yeah. No, it, it, and actually that was that. And there was a wrestling podcast with Bruce Pritchard that those were the two first podcasts I listened to. And it inspired me to be a podcaster. Um, you know, cause I, I saw a spot where I learned, or I was like, I know we can make a podcast that where people can learn about ben- veteran benefits, veteran resources. Um, and at the time there, there was an opening there. Now it's, it's so oversaturated, but yeah. with, you know, lots of hosts, lots of shows, but I'm just happy to be a part of that community. And it, for me, it all started with that episode. Oh, well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. I'm glad it wasn't the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, oh, what's this podcast? Oh God, these guys are yeah. terrible. That was, that was, that was a hard that. part about it, man. Is that, you know, as, um, as I matured, right. As I got out of the phase of just, you know the drinking partying phase, you know, I was a, throughout the whole thing, all this had happening in my, my life is I'm thinking about transitioning out of a federal job that I have seven years on that has yeah. a retirement. That is the first and 15th paycheck. I'm in a position that I've always wanted to be in the medic for the number one team. And on the, on the, you know, it's like I'm everywhere I ever wanted to be, but I'm still feeling some emptiness inside. Right. And then my personal life, wasn't going so hot either. You know, I'm a single dad of four kids. I had a relationship that didn't work out. And I'm like, how am I going to navigate that? How am I going to navigate being a, like, like being a good border patrol agent uh, on a special operations team that is deployable? Like as a single father, right? Single father and a business that is flourishing, that is matching paychecks. What do you do? Right. And at the time it matched paychecks was, was, was a fluke, right? Because it was just like, we were on a high horse. Everyone was excited about it, but it didn't take long for that to, to, to even itself out and really make things really uncomfortable and weird. Right. Okay. But, yeah. but those were reasons why I had to, at some point say, stop. What exactly do I want for myself? Cause the podcast is blowing up. The podcast yeah. is blowing up. It's, we are the second fastest in iTunes history to a million downloads. Wow. Second fastest. That is crazy. That right. is crazy. Four dudes who have no clue of a podcast and just talking. We didn't show up with the list of things we want to talk about. We just said, hey, um, man, you know what's crazy today? Yeah, cool. Boom. Go. Turn it on. Go. And wherever it went, wherever it went. And it did so well. But, you know, at one point, it became this thing where we were shock value. Who can say the craziest, weirdest thing? And that started to turn me off because... At the same time, all this is happening. We're getting people reaching out to us and saying, man, you're saving my life. You changed my life. You, you know, all these things. And I was like, man, as where I'm going in my life, I like that more than I like creating this shock value BS humor in my head. Oh. It was like, you know, 
you wanted more of that, you know, yeah, where can I, no. where can I take that? Yes. I yeah. loved it. It was yeah. more inspiring. It was, it was thrilling to hear that these weird things we were doing on camera are, are saving lives. Like, yeah. how, how do we get more of that? Cause that is fulfilling. That is, uh, that is what I need. And I felt the purpose for, and the other side of like this, you know, these, these kind of immature jokes and stuff all the time. And, and this dark humor that veterans just understand. I was like, ah, I'm not really convinced anymore. And I shifted. Yeah. I just completely, my heart shifted. I also was like, uh, do my kids, what happens when my kids sees this content, you know, 10 years from now, how do they feel about it? Yeah. How does that look as a dad? You know, all these things started really trying to eat me alive. And look, I don't regret any of it, but I'm glad I shifted gears when I did because I, you know, I, I kind of needed to for myself, but I needed to for them. And, um, well, and I that's kind of where it all kind of went different. You're getting older, more experiences, yeah. things are changing. Um, you know, and, and really the, the community's changing as well. Of course you had guys that were like, Hey, you changed my life. Um, but I, I could see where you're like, where can I get more of that? More of that. Um, do you see the active duty and veteran community changing? Like from like when we got out, like the, the post nine yeah. 11 vet bro thing towards the end of the wars. Now it's a, I never deployed. Um, it, it seemed like the, the taste of the veteran community is, as is, has changed even since we got out like five years ago. No, for sure. Ago, you know, for sure. I mean, I think we were a part of, and we, and we were probably um, a big reason for like this kind of bro vet, time yeah know? um not necessarily completely proud of that sometimes sometimes it's like eh, it was some some needed it though some, some, needed, some, no, exactly. some gravitated to it you know right yeah and i think you know what's cool now is seeing like back then there wasn't a lot of veteran entrepreneurs there was you know a handful that we could probably mention and now there's thousands and thousands and i think it's cool to see that these veterans are starting to realize like oh i'm not in this bubble that we we want to portray ourselves as i can actually do really cool things and so I think it's moving in a really good space where guys are really starting to see mental health and awareness and, 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 and starting to really do healing and wellness, you know, those things that I think are very valuable. I think we're definitely starting to knock down those walls of the machismo and tough guy. And that doesn't do counseling. And now realizing that like, Hey, we, we all are human. And you can, you can still be that, that guy, but still go recognize what's what you need inside. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a really cool shift that, that needed to happen. I think it it, you almost forced it to happen. You had to, like, it, yeah. no, you know, we're going to keep having these, these, these sad stories of our brothers and sisters taking their lives unless we start shifting ourselves and our thought process, our mindsets. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, the intentions of drinking bros was, it was always a beautiful intention. Drinking bros really to the root of it was we didn't want to see veterans drinking alone. We yeah. wanted to create a community or you can reach out and be like, hey, I'm having a rough day. I'm going to be at this bar. And someone shows up and drinks to you. Like the root of it, the intentions were gorgeous. And you saw that in the, in the Facebook groups. You know, all, you know, all the it, time. It, all the you time. You can still find it now. Yeah. You can still find it now. If I said, hey, man, I'm having a rough day and we want to go hit some golf balls. I'd yeah. have five dudes say, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's still that. But, yep. you know, the shift in my life even more now that I'm sober two and a half years congratulations or the three yeah. you know the drinking bros i guess um labeling we didn't, <laughs> we didn't really think about 
<laughs> drinking bros, but I'm sober. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did a podcast thing on the, the non-drinking bro. And it was just more of like, it's okay to be sober and still be a part of a community. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. okay. It's just yeah. community, right? 100%. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the culmination of what that original group was, was Range 15. Hilarious movie. Lots of oh, yeah. cameos. William Shatner, Danny Trejo, uh, Keith David. It, that was all crowdfunded, right? Yeah, it was 100% crowdfunded. And um, as well as um, sponsors, you know, we had sponsors that jump on board and stuff like that. So for like product, product placement. Good product placement. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't say good. Just great. <laughs> <laughs> Strike force energy. Um, so was your first acting gig really pitch perfect that I saw on your gram? Because, 100% fake. I edited it. Okay. Okay. Cause I, I didn't see it credited anywhere when I was doing my research. I was like, wait, hold on. What, what is that? I, I edit. I saw that okay. scene and I was like, oh, I can, I can edit this scene to something really funny. <laughs> Again, with the, with the, the entertainment, the artistic side, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, was range 15 where you got the acting bug? Um, because the crew, they all seem to be doing their own thing now. I think Ross is the only one from the original crew who were drinking bros. JT sometime is there doing it. Uh, you've got your own podcast now. Um, and I've listened to a couple of, of Vinny rock. I was, I was actually interviewing a veteran that is a video game tester for Bethesda, uh, Tommy Davis. Uh, it's not out yet. Um, but it'll be out before yours. So it's probably in the archives. If you're listening to this right now, um, so I was getting ready for that one. And I listened to your episode with free the VR video game tester or yeah. VR video game dude. Yeah. Uh, definitely an interesting episode. Yeah. What else do you explore on that podcast? Everything, man. I just like to have a good conversation with people doing things that are to me that are awesome, fun, cool. Like, uh, you know, uh, it's just like my personality, man. I'm all over the place and I, and I, and I like to interview people that do all, all kinds of things, you know? Um, like today I talked about, kids in sports because you know yeah. i just wanted to bring up the topic because i have my kid in sports right now and watching some of these parents and how they how they you know sometimes i think they live through their kids their kids uh you know careers that you know i kind of wanted to step back and give my opinion on that because i'm a guy who did that too right like I, i'm not i'm not free and clear of that same thing i've done it you know what i mean i have an eight-year-old yeah. daughter that that can't stand if i'm coaching because she's like no 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 you know and so I've learned from an 18 year old what I'm not going to do for my now one and a half year old when he turns into the age of, you know, and in, in those, you learn from friends, you learn from experience, you learn from just putting yourself out there. And then, you know, you have to also know like, oh, that was wrong. And just <laughs> the years and just the years that you put in, like you said, 18 to, yeah. what do you say? One and something? A one and a half year old right now. Want some change? He's yeah. a, he's a, he's going to be an athlete. He's a crazy kid with that loves playing sports already. Like it's weird. You know, and I'm like, okay, I just got to not. You just started play. walking, man. What do you mean he's still good at playing sports? Yeah, you haven't seen the video of this kid kicking a soccer ball into the goal and clapping. Yeah, you haven't seen he. There's a video I have of him hitting off a tee and hit, smacking mom right in the head with a ball. Like, really? Kid is crazy. Right, yeah, check not, ex not exaggerating dad, like, my kid's going to be the greatest, but this kid's probably going to be the greatest. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Uh, speaking on your podcast, uh, we both have a shared guest, Mikhail Vega. He also works on with you with on, on my yeah. MC. Uh, great. Again, great born in the battle episode. It's in the archives. Check it out when you have the chance. Um, he's also the one that clued me in that UFC ref, Mike Beltran Mike, is yeah. also a veteran. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah he is. That's actually a really good buddy of mine. Yeah. Him and my dad, my dad, they go, so my dad's a big cut man in boxing for many years. I'm talking like he's going to retire from, from that world soon because he just doesn't move as well. Sure. We grew up in the fight game my whole life. And um, 
Mike is one of the guys that my dad mentored when he was early on. And, and wow. Mike didn't know me and my dad, you know, are related. He just thought my dad was to my dad and here's me. And uh, as he's getting into acting more, me and him had a conversation. He found out I was a veteran. And so we, we connected and he goes, let's go to dinner sometime, homeboy. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And we sat at dinner and I said, hey, man, I don't know if you know, Mike, but my dad is Carlos Vargas. And he's like, get the heck out of here. And he was just shocked. He goes, dude, I get it. I see it now where the character that you have is very similar to your dad's willing, my willingness to go out and help other actors get into the game and, and, and just help, you know, here's, here's the acting coach I use. And here's what I think, you know, all these little, just kind of like these little nuances in acting that everyone kind of wants to ask questions. You just don't know who you can, you can be mentored by. Yeah. I I was helping him in acting in the space. We're trying to, trying to help, help navigate his world. And my dad did the same thing probably 10 years prior while he was getting into the referee. Wow. That is incredible. That's wild. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, okay. My NZMC. Uh, you know, when I, I was watching the pilot on FX, when I, when I still had FX, yeah. I was like, Rocco actor, like real actor. Okay. It's obviously going to be an early death. This is just shock value. And, <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. I mean, a matter of fact, you're still matter of fact, you probably got the biggest fandom quote of all time that links the Mayans to the sons of anarchy. Yeah. Um, so how did you get into, I mean, okay. Drinking bros podcast, uh, actor, (laughs) legit actor. Yeah. It started, um, I'll say this. I did, I did theater in college because I really, I did enjoy it. Um, when we did, we started in YouTube films. Uh, it started to kind of spark back in my heart. Like I wanted to see where it can go. I knew right away I was going to, I was going to try and get outside of YouTube. I didn't want to stick around there for a long time. Yeah. Um, I just didn't know how to navigate that. So at one point, me and Jared were sitting in room. Uh, Matt was deployed at the time doing contracting. Me and Jared were like, well, let's do a movie. Like, why wouldn't we just, why wouldn't we, you know? So, yeah, let's do it. So I had a screenwriter reach out to me named Billy J, an outstanding writer. Um, I said, why don't we fly you out to El Paso and let's start writing the first version of a zombie film because it only made sense for us to do a silly zombie film, right? Yeah. Um, so he flew out and he wrote this incredible script that would have cost probably a hundred million to film because <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> man, like helicopters burning and like, ah, you know, it was like, it was better than World War Z, you know? <laughs> and um, like, that's yeah, great. But yeah, yeah, we're sitting on the script and we don't know. We thought it was perfect. We're like, this is great. You know? Um, and then Jared's a good, good, not a good friend. He was a big fan of Ross Patterson's work. He reached out to Ross Patterson at the time, you know, we, we have a lot of people following what we did. And so Ross Patterson kind of like, was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look, you know? And so he gave us a rate and what it cost for him to fly out and actually help do a rewrite. Doing rewrites and scripts is not cheap. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, but you know, we were able to make it happen, you know, and as a, as a company, we were doing well at the time, article 15, you know? Yeah. And so we, we flew him in and helped, he helped us get the first rewrite of, of range 15 in a space where we could actually probably afford. Right. And that's kind of what he did is really made it. So it's like shootable. Um, and then boom, we crowdfunded and made a movie and this whole process. I'm like, this is what I want to do. Like, this mm. is it. Like, I think this is awesome. All mm-hmm. the creative juices are flowing, you know, like I'm in and, and I was studying acting. I was reading books. Like no one knew this. I was just like, such, I was geeking out on exactly what I would love to do. Yeah. Then we go to film range 15 and, and Nick Palmashano, he's the original owner of, of Ranger Up. He's one of yeah. our partners in range 15. You know, 
he was in the van. And he's like, Rocco, how are you feeling? I said, I said, Nick, genuinely, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I told him that. Day one of filming. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I don't know if he knew how serious I was, but I was 100% dead serious. So when we were done filming Mayans, I went and filmed, I, I got the, a camera guy together. I wrote this piece on, on a you know, transition called uh, The Long Way Back. And I entered into film festivals. And you know, we got honorable mentions in the GI Film Festival, the same GI oh, Film yeah. Festival where, where Range 15 actually won an award as well. Yeah, that used you know? to be here in D.C. for many years. That's exactly. I flew out to D.C. to do it. Mm. And um, when I was there, I met Jamie Keller, who was a comedian. And I told him, I said, look, dude, I genuinely want to figure this out. He said, well, come out to L.A. and film my dads in parks. And so slowly taking steps towards the dream of being an actor, I didn't know how to navigate it. So I, the only thing I did know is like, we've already produced a movie. I'll just produce a short film. I've already produced a short film. Well, how do I keep going? You know, so then I became a, a writer and, and kind of a co-producer of helping with Dads and Parks. Yeah. And as that started seeing success, you know, Jamie's like, let's write some more. And so, cool. And so we did a couple more. I flew back for the second round of Dads and Parks. At the same time, <clears throat> Mines MC is, is, is casting the last couple guys <clears throat> for the pilot of Mines MC. How do you, how do you know about that? Like, how does the casting, um, it was like, the like, big, it was a buzz in Hollywood already. Everyone okay. knew Mayans is casting. It was this Hollywood buzz. Everyone knew it. I gotcha. have a buddy in Hollywood. That's a big actor that I text him. I said, I heard Mayans is casting. I'm interested. How do I get involved in that? This is not very common. Hollywood doesn't work this way. He's big enough dude to say, Hey, I actually know the casting director by chance. He goes, all I can do is open that door. It's up to you to close it. I said, what do you need? So as an actor, our resume is not just a resume, right? You have a, a, a resume that's a film resume. All the things you've ever acted in, wrote, produced, directed, everything. Yeah. And then you also have a headshots, which those are kind of our, our photos. But you want a photo that looks similar to the character that you're trying to audition for. Yeah. And then you also have an acting reel, which I had dads in parks, some of range 15, which not a lot, not a lot was usable because you know how edgy it was, right? <laughs> good, good death. Good death scene. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I had my, my long way back. I had the dads in parks and I had a few of the film, the videos that we did with, with, with Matt JT on article 15, chopped them up to look good, to show that I have some kind of range as an actor. Boom. Sent it forward. And genuinely it's one of those right place, right time, right. Look, you yeah. know, did you, did you cut your own reel? Uh, I can't remember if I did. I don't think I did. My buddy, Tim, gotcha. I think my buddy, Tim, who, who, who does a lot of editing is the one who'd cut the first one for me. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, just, I just put together anything I thought would be decent enough to show. Yeah. You know, my, my, uh, my long way back, there was no words being spoken. It was all emotion on face. It was, uh, you know, it was this really artsy kind of thing. You know, it's a poem on top of a, it's a spoken word poem on top of a black and white film. Gotcha. You know? And, uh, and so there was enough to show there was range there enough to intrigue them to say, bring them in. Did the first audition, never done an audition in my life. Never. Like I did one when I was 18 and it wasn't like this. It was kind of like a, just read the paper. And I was like, Oh no, I'm good. So I'm dyslexic reading, like reading issues. Right. I cannot read very well. I do bet way better now than I ever have, but sure. The insecurities are still in there. So like when I get asked to do it, I'm like, Oh my God, am I going to, Am I going to reverse something, you know, unite always looks like untie, 
You know what I mean? Like, all- <laughs> I got you. Yeah, no, I got you. I got you. Pressure's so my- on. You're like, okay, those, those little fears come back. Got you. Yeah, so my yeah. wife read it for me, read it for me, read it for me, read it for me. She recorded it audio for me. I listened to it audio all night, showed up to the audition and the casting lady gave me a hug, a kiss on the forehead, gave my wife a hug, kiss on her forehead. She goes, that was great. Loved it. Thank you for your service. Love that you were board of Trojan. We'll, we'll get back to you. And I was like, oh, well, that was cool. I'm wondering if everyone gets those kisses on the forehead, right? <laughs> you know, like, this is Hollywood. Like, what do you know? I don't know. She's an actor too. God. Yeah. 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 I don't know. And so then. It's amazing. The, that's your first audition. It's amazing. Yeah. It was, it's crazy. And they called me back. I flew back from El Paso. At the time, I only had like 700 bucks in my account. The, the ticket was 500 bucks. Flew back to California. And I told my wife, like, I really just think we have a good shot at this and this can, you know, at the time, dude, I had no real job. You know, I walked away from article 15 clothing. I walked away from, from everything that was like what I was doing because I really wanted to dedicate on what I want to do. Yeah. You know, and, um, big leap of faith, big, big, I'm talking $700 in my account, bro. Like I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I flew to LA and spent 500 of it on that ticket. And four days later, I'm on set. I'm on the first pilot of the Mayans. Wow. I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that. I I mean, did you have a mortgage at the time? And like, I mean, you had other bills. I had the house that that we owned in, in, in El Paso. I had my cars. I mean, look, I was having to find ways of supplementing that, whether it was a speaking engagement, whether it was more book sales, whether it was t-shirt sales of my hustle thing. Hustle. Yeah, awesome. I, I landed the History Channel show and I had them, they, I asked them to um, pay me up front for half of this. I'm just telling them like, look, here's the truth, dude. I can't survive. I need this. You know, I'm just trying to figure it out. Wow. And then it all kind of started compiling in a good direction. That's amazing. Um, that's amazing. So you're on Mayans now. You've got the Vinny Rock podcast. You've taken the podcast to Twitch as well with Vinny Rock Gaming, I I thought that was very interesting because as a gamer, I'm a casual observer of esports. Um, I'm fascinated by that entire community. Um, I've even I even pitched a you know I, I watched the industry grow. Yeah, when I was working out, out in Charlotte, I pitched an e league to NASCAR when I was there. They're doing it now. Uh, they've been doing it for a couple of years. Uh, but you're doing live streams there. What are you learning about that community? In Twitch. Yeah. The Twitch community is cool, man. I mean, those are very loyal people. They know your schedule. They want to jump on board. They want to support. They want to sub, you know, it's just a, it's a good community. I love Twitch. It's my, you know, it's, it's the less, the least sensitive of all platforms that I can stream, you know, Facebook, they, they, Facebook and YouTube take down some of my stuff. If I use a video that's like, I don't know, semi licensed or something. The other day I posted a, a 30 second clip of besides the one the other day of the, the Olympics, I get that one. <laughs> My bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you think you would get, if you're reporting on it, like there's a fair use if you're reporting or satiring. Right. Right. Yeah. But no, yeah. you can't use it. They, they got me, but there was something else I posted. I think it was like, um, Oh, I will. It, we, I did a short, short video and showing an audition. One of those, <laughs> those emotional auditions from like America's got talent. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they nixed me on that too. And I'm like, ah, but Twitch, Twitch doesn't, Twitch lets it ride. You know what I mean? Mm. Which is good because like I'm only playing less than 30 seconds and I'm thinking that's the safe buffer zone. 
But, uh, you know, I think it's cool cause I'm able to, you know, I've integrated my own life with, with just videos that I can show and introduce and have some fun with. And it's been a really cool experience and the people, it grows every week. It grows every week. It, more people show up and, and they comment and they interact and it's an interactive podcast. I'm not here with a list of things I want to talk about. I show up with a few things and then we just go back and forth. I communicate with the people viewing. They ask I questions. I noticed that big time. And to me, you- like, it's really a community of us waking up and drinking coffee and talking. And I like that. You know, that's more me. I yeah. love interviewing people too, but if I'm just going to wake up and hang out, let me hang out with my people that want to just hang out. And, you know, it's turned into something that's really fun and, and you know, I enjoy doing. And I, I will continue to do this uh, until I just don't have the time to. And I don't see that happening. Is it cathartic for you in a way? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Got you. Um, before we leave, I want to talk about your relatively new business venture, uh, Veteran, another clothing line. Uh, it's geared around being a better veteran, which, yeah. you know, how did you come up with a clothing line with that kind of purpose behind it? I, you know, I've kind of struggled the past few years of, of wanting to see more veterans push other veterans uh, in a positive way, yeah. right? And, and not anything other than pushing other veterans to, to hold on. Hey, boys, keep it down. <laughs> but pushing other veterans to, to do good, right? To, to, to push them to do more. You know, I got really frustrated watching... I sit back and watch all this, man. I see every influencer. I see every company. I see every business. I see every nonprofit. And, you know, I have to sit there and intelligently think of like, what's right, what's wrong in my heart? What do I enjoy? What do I hate? You know, and who do I follow and who do I not? You know, and and you realize real fast that social media is our biggest influencer, man. Straight up. Like what people watch every day is social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter. I don't care what it is. People get their information from there. And if yeah. all you're ever seeing is this negative ideologies of veterans, veterans suicide, veterans alcoholic, veterans, blah, 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 it's exhausting to watch. And it actually oh, is, is demoralizing. Yeah. And I don't want to do it no more. And I don't want to, and I've never been that, right? Like I've always been a positive push. I've always been happy. I've always tried to keep this thing going of like, yeah. keep going, keep pushing, keep pushing. And I was like, well, what kind of brand represents that in me and what I'm trying to give back? Uh, I said better in, in an accident when I was trying to talk too fast of all these ideas. My buddy's like, that's, that's, that's cool, man. I like that. The better. And I was like, yeah, man, I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That it just came out like that. Some yeah. Kinda- and I held it. I held it for, I've had that idea, that name, that, you know, that moniker or whatever for over a year, not knowing what to do. Yeah. And, you know, instead I said, you know what, just put it out there, you know, and I started here in this office and I was, I was, I was pumping out shirts and shipping them and everything. And then, you know, I tried to go bigger with it and um, it just didn't work. Right. Like goal for, look at, here's the, the, the goal for, for better and is really to, to change the ideologies. Right. Um, we are not broken. You know, we, 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 we are not that. And all the influence out there are, are not showing what we can be. In my opinion, we don't give our young veterans something to look forward to and excited about. We actually give them something to be scared about and fearful of, you know, because we promote suicide, 
Right. And, and I say that yeah. in, in not in a joking manner. It's like we have hung our hat on a subject that is the negative aspect of a veteran. There's no other business that uses negativ- negativity for marketing. There's no other organization besides all the 22s. I'm saying no other outside of the military world. No one promotes the worst thing. Do you see yeah. police officers promoting police brutality? No. No. So what we do for some weird reason, somebody decided to promote the negative that people will feel bad for us and, 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 and that will get their attention. It's easy to make a to create sympathy and market off that. Yeah. And that's what we did. And instead of like, wait, we've never been taught that we've never been taught to back down. We've been taught to find a way to be, be successful and complete the mission. But somehow once you get out of the military, be careful. You might be a statistic. And that is disgusting, man. That is the worst yeah. thing we've ever done. That's the worst thing yeah. as a community. Even the civilian communities that want to help, that thought that was a great thing, they didn't realize that. Like, no one realized it for some reason. And all these organizations jumped on it and said, you know what? This is right and feel bad. And I'm like, um, is anyone else watching We're, this? Because I feel like this is crazy. It's, it's building victims. It's completely building victims. A hundred percent, dude. A hundred percent. And that is weird to me that yeah. we would ever say, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to support this. Let me, let me support that. Like, why would you support that? I yeah. don't want to support anything that to- focuses on that because what I want to do is make sure a guy gets out of the military and be like, Hey, you know what you can do? You can be a business owner. You can be a federal agent. You could be an actor. You could be anything you anything want. You want. Anything you want. Yeah. You're you not, a, you- you're, you're not a victim unless you allow yourself to be. Exactly. So how do you do it? Uh, it's called hard work. Hard work, direction, figure it out, take a step back, say, here's how I get to there, one step at a time. That's how you do it. Maybe check the alcohol a little bit because the world has told you, you know, your military community has told you that you drink for all these different reasons and it's not true either. Okay. I have these, these guys like, let's take shots to remember our brothers and sisters who died. Or how about let's get successful. Let's get a degree. Let's get a job. Let's get a career. How about that? And then, and then that we can build a platform and we can talk about our friends. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. How about show them how much you value the life that you have by doing great things with that? Because that to me is showing how much you love and respected them. Not drink it. That's something that we were taught and it's not necessarily correct. So, not necessarily. Not so, necessarily. I mean, you know, it, it, Look, it, camaraderie it, is part of part of drinking is camaraderie and community. And I get that. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. But when you see too many of your friends on the anniversary date of the death of your brothers getting arrested, getting in legal issues, getting so drunk that they're depressed and suicidal. That's not a helpful. problem there. Yeah. There's a problem there, right? Like everything in moderation, everything in moderation. hundred percent. So that's what the brand's about. hundred percent. Yes. We are about gotcha. trying to trying to just push guys in a positive way, not talk about the negative, uh, inspire, motivate, you know, entertain. There's so many things I want to do with better. And it's just so hard to get them all done at the same time. Well, um, you, you know, it, it takes time to grow. And 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 I love that you said eh, we, I tried to go big and it didn't work out. And, and like that didn't crush you like you're still going. You know no. what I mean? Like it's like it's like you had a goal. OK, it didn't work out. Learn from it and move on. Like. That's what I seen. And I love the passion that you have. I can tell like, I'm all, I'm all like, you know, motivated now because I see the passion that you're talking about. Like when you talk about this, yeah, your, your tone changes, dude. 
Yeah, man. Like your tone totally changes about building better people. Yeah. Like you obviously have a passion for that. hundred percent. There's a shirt now on veteran called give a damn. Why is that? Because how many of our veteran like companies have made a shirt that says no F's given? Um, Yeah, no, no, that's, I I do care. I care. Right. And that's part of me is like, I care. And you should too. And you should care 100%. about your community. You should care about where they go and how, how you inspire and motivate. That was the whole reason. If I was to take this podcast, that was the whole reason I was taking this podcast. Like if I was going to take this podcast, it was to help people. You know, when I, yeah. I was like, and if you don't allow me to help people in the way that I see fit, I wasn't going to do it. And so I, I do appreciate that the VA, it is a hundred percent sponsored VA podcast. But they pretty much let me, like 99.5% of the time, allow me to take that in that, that direction. Beautiful. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's, that's why I was like, I saw that. I, you got a unique strategy. Um, like how you were, how were you, how you were getting this brand out there, giving away bikes and, and trucks and. And that um, was the going big. That was the yeah. going big. It didn't work. Yeah. yeah. It didn't work. It was a. Uh, you know, I should have stuck to my guns and keeping it very organic and slow and small and I just let it just grow. But I felt like, man, people need to know about this. People need to feel it. They need to see it. So I'm going to throw more money at it and just do crazy thing. And it was so unlike me. Actually, the whole time we did that, it was uncomfortable for me because like, I don't want to be a car salesman. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to be, I don't want people, I don't want people to perceive me as that. I don't want to give off that, but it turned into that because we were really trying to sell more shirts to help pay off the cost of the offset, the cost of the bikes and the, yeah. and it was wrong. It was the wrong answer. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually bringing everything back to a warehouse here in Salt Lake city. I'm going to start from the ground up and I'm continue to, to turn this into, you know, I believe in a thing and I don't know why I didn't follow my own belief systems in business, but I believe in a thing I call slow burn. Mm. I'm going to be here for a long time because how I approach everything is a slow burn. Blues I don't, musicians. Yeah. You're like the blues musician. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about like fame. Never cared about it. Still don't, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't get me off. I don't care about like, I don't care about any of this stuff. Right. And so if you take an approach to like, really, if you're chasing things too hard, I believe you lose a little bit of like the genuine um, morals, values, and kind of like ideologies in what you have. My place, I want to keep them there. I want to be grounded. I want to be there with my family. They're they're primary number one. And I want to just make enough money that they can survive. And so, yeah, if I can do those, cool. So then why do I, I don't need better to be a multi-million dollar company. I just needed to exist in a space for someone who's looking and when they yeah. find it, they'll believe in it. And if that inspires them and motivates them, then I, then, then I've done my part, but I was trying to go so big and win like this win, this chasing this win that I was like, thought like I needed. And I realized like I should have stuck to my guns. Maybe there's a, a lesson in there about learning about yourself with there. Maybe it was for a reason. You I know? believe that. Yeah. And then, you know, some of my partners are like, oh, you don't think it's a little embarrassing? I'm like, no, yeah. I'll, I'll own my losses, dude. I lost. That one didn't work. Yeah. But I love that it does. Like I said, I love that it doesn't crush you. Yeah. You know, I love that it didn't crush you that you're like, okay, it's never like you're still you, you're still charging on. That's good stuff. Just pivot and keep going. That's it. Um, acting. 
entrepreneurship, making music. Yeah. Um, author, you wrote a bio. Dude, you're you're involved in a lot of stuff. Anything that you've done in your post-military career, anything that maybe we did or didn't cover, any advice to anyone that's listening to this? Yeah. Be a relevant parent. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's, I love that. That was my biggest accomplishment, right? Is realizing that I was paying the bills, but I wasn't mentoring my kids. You know, the same argument we had from the beginning of the podcast was like, my dad wasn't mentoring me. It wasn't his fault. He didn't know his dad didn't mentor him. But we're, we're at a time where our kids need mentorship. Our kids need us to guide them, to give them morals, values, manners, uh, to let them know it's okay to lose. Like all these things that we're learning in the military that we're, 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 we take home and don't share because for some reason we think they won't understand. We, we just got to reword and revise our training and give it to our kids to, say, to get them to be better, stronger little warriors in society and be successful. You know? And I didn't think about that until I became a single dad. And my kids were like, man, dad, you're really funny. I'm like, yeah, but how do you not know that? Right? How do you not know? I'm, mm. What did I do wrong? Mm. And it was like, I wasn't being a dad. I wasn't being me. I was giving them this disciplinary pay, uh, bill paying person. This, uh, you know, I Which was exactly just, what your father was. Right. I was a, I was a, I was a character in their life that that's dad. But I mean, I didn't even teach my kids how to ride a bike. You know what I mean? Like I was so irrelevant in their growth. I would recommend every veteran out there, everybody who listened to this podcast to be relevant in your kid's life, to teach them about the birds and the bees, to teach them about wins and losses, teach them morals and values, things that you messed up in in life and that you would, you would wish for them to learn from your own mistakes. Like, just like you raise your soldiers, this is a quote of mine I always say is like, I raise my soldiers like I raise my kids and I raise my kids like I raise my soldiers. I mentor them. I mentor every single one of them. I'm going to give them my job. In the military, I teach every soldier to do my job to the fullest. I don't care if you're E1 or an E5. You'll know my job. Because when dad's gone, you're going to have to step up. You know? And so I teach my kids that. I teach my soldiers that. You know? And, and I would recommend everyone out there who's just a dad paying the bills to take a step back and say, you know what? They deserve your time. They deserve your mentorship. You have a lot of experiences in life. And Last thing you want to want them to do is go learn from their friends who have no clue about life. <laughs> Jeez almighty. Yeah. My son's like, yeah, my, my buddy said this. I'm like, your buddies, your buddy doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> your buddy's are just, liar. Are just on the street looking <laughs> at each other. No, no, uh, no. Don't do it. Very, very, very good. I love that. I love that. I gave like career and then you were like family. I love that. Love that. Um, Vince, Vinny, is, is, is there a veteran nonprofit or a veteran in the veteran community whom you've had an experience with or have worked with that you'd like to mention? Yeah. You know, there's a, I just worked with him the other day. His name's Cody Alfred. Cody Alfred. Um, that is a guy that has probably one of the most colorful careers in the Marines really? and has, has gotten out to try and figure himself out and to be able to watch him through his transition and growth. I feel like he's done it faster than most because his willingness to just shed all the ideologies he was taught in the Marines and just allow himself to from the ground up learn. 
he's he's an incredible person to watch and he's still figuring it out you know but i think he is great because his intention is right his heart is in a good place and to me like that's that's great what he does is awesome and then the second one what does he do what he's just a positive spirit man really and he helps guys he's he's there you can reach out to him He, he he's working on setting up workshops for veterans but he himself is going through it but he's going through it where we can all watch. And it's been so cool to see the, the vulnerable, you know, of, of a guy of his stature. And I say stature, like he has an incredible Marine career. I'm talking special operations, like high level. Yeah. He's one of the greats. And for him to be in a, a Marine at, at that and willingness to be so vulnerable, I think yeah. it's incredible. And the other, and there's another Very Marine good. out there that I look up to too. And, and, and we're buddies is Nick Kumalatsos. Uh, Great, great guy. Puts out great content. Always out there trying to help veterans. Always out there. You know, that's a that's a seven-figure business guy. He's figured it out. You know, he was the first person to ever give me the opportunity to speak publicly. Really? Yeah. And I now get paid to do this. He was the guy that said, okay, come on. Flew me out to freaking Wilmington, North Carolina. Said, go. And man, that was the beginning of me speaking publicly. What did you speak about? What was the first thing you ever talked about? I talked about, I talked about my transition. I talked about w- why I joined the military. You know, I said it's because I wanted to give my daughter a future uh, because I wanted to make my family proud, you know, and I wanted to serve my country. You know, these, these things that are just like, I, I need to do something bigger than me. Yeah. You know, and, and I talked about the biggest thing in, in that whole speech was <clears throat> I, my identity was an army ranger. And, you know, that was, and, and what I like to say, and people use this ideology all the time is like, you know, that was a chapter in my life. And, and now I'm excited to write the new chapters. This is before 100%. I was acting and everything. And so I uh, really love that he gave me that opportunity and it's kind of changed my life. It, absolutely. hundred percent. I, I hate, or I don't, I don't hate the strong word, but I very much dislike, like, you know, that was the best time of my life. We'll never get those days back. Or it's like, for me, it's like, I, I see that. And it's like the high school quarterback mentality. Stop yeah, it. I call Stop it Al it. Bundy. I actually said it in that speech. I call it the Al Bundy. The Al Bundy? <laughs> yeah. The Al Bundy. You're talking about your four touchdowns in one game. You know what I mean? In high school. And you're, you're now a shoe salesman. And you're still telling people that same story. Okay. You're like, bro, you, you stopped growing. Yeah. It's the yeah. same. It's the same as someone else used a different, a different, uh, metaphor that it, I laughed because oh he he used the Uncle Rico, yes right? Uncle Rico I was just I was going right there. <laughs> Recently I spoke to a lot of young veterans and I used the Al Bundy and half of them didn't know who Al Bundy was. I'm like all right I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> you know he played a veteran in Modern Family. Yes, yes. You he know did. He, and I love that that it was just part of his story, and they didn't like dramatize it like PTSD or I wrote a paper on this and it was like when I was still in college. It was like, you know, I was tired. Like you were talking about, you know, the, the victim mentality. You saw yeah. that in Hollywood's. I mean, you see it in politics, you see it in nonprofits, you see it in business, you see it in uh, film and video. And that was yeah. kind of what I was focusing on. And I was like, you know, I was, I was tired of uh, that was like right when Thank You for, for Your Service came out or something uh-huh. like that, the one with Miles Teller. And I was like, I am sick of that movie. I'm yeah. sick of that, that, that same narrative. And then I, and then I, I was watching Modern Family. I, I normally didn't watch it, but I saw that. Ed and his role was just a Navy veteran. I was like, that's what I want to see. Yeah. It's just a part of his life. Yeah. And he was able to just move on and, and be another, a human being that like he pulled out every once in a while, like when it suited his character, Yeah, but it didn't 
it wasn't the narrative. That's the hard thing about film. I believe film is always kind of 10 years behind mm. of social and economic kind of like realities. You know what I mean? Yeah. At, at one time, every time there was an Asian person, he was behind the counter of a, of a liquor store. Every time it was a black guy, he was a gangbanger. Every time it was a Mexican guy, he was a cholo, right? Like, you know, it's some film goes through this kind of late blossom of the reality. And so everything is kind <laughs> and of, and then they try too hard <laughs> for sure. Right. So like, you know, you see, you know, there was a, there was an actor and, you know, we kind of got into it, you know, just behind closed doors about, you know, he made a film that he said he wanted to make it for veterans and he wanted to help them. And I said, but you didn't help them. You actually, you continue to uh, push the stigma that we're all broken, you know, yeah. that we're, you know, and that's wrong. That's wrong. And it's like, and I get it because as a civilian, they might not completely understand that, but for yes. me, I'm like, well, then you should have asked. Get an advisor. Get an advisor. Cause I would, yeah. and if there's a veteran that's like, yeah, this is a good story to tell. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. You don't get how much these influence people. You know how many people are influenced by film and television. So now they believe that we're all broken. Yeah. Like people believe it. I actually sat with a very big writer yeah. and we were talking and I'm eating lunch and he's like, Hey Rocco, what's your experience? I know you write. Why don't you write a veteran film? I was like, ah, because my veteran film would probably be something that Hollywood wouldn't want right now. And he's like, what do you mean? And I told him, I said, every film about a veteran is that he's broken. That's false. That's not true. That's what everyone Thinks, and that's what you guys want to believe. And you think you're doing us a favor by telling that story, but you're not. And he was like, I never thought of that. Like, I know, I know. And so, yeah, no, I agree. I don't like the push of the negative, you know, you know, yeah. I don't know. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully I get to a place where I can change that. Yeah. I, I think like my people like yourself and, 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 you know, where we can all change that. Um, yeah. Rocco, what's one thing that you learned during your time in the military that you, you apply to what you do today? If you were to pick one thing. Yeah. It's probably how I do leadership. Right. I think that's it. You know, I, you know, I, I it took me a while to dissect how Sean Braza was a leader. And I recently wrote something called leadership equals love. And I really believe good leadership roots from love, the care, yes and love of the person to make good decisions for them to stay alive is what we do as parents and is what we do as leaders in the military. They, they won't say that. They don't word it that way. Right? You don't yell at your soldier in combat because you hate the kid. It's because you love him and you would hate to see him get hurt. And so yes. you, you use a form of leadership that's going to motivate the kid to listen. It's all rooted from love. And so I think I've learned that more than anything. And, and I continue to try and, you know, to dissect the leadership and, and try and, and and understand it even more and more every day. Very good. Very good. Uh, well, Rocco, we've, we've, we're coming up on an hour and a half. We've gone through like <clears throat> a lot. Um, is there anything that I've missed or haven't asked? No, man. I don't is know. there like a parting shot to anybody that's listening that you'd like <laughs> to share? No, I just, you know, I just want my people men, women, uh, veterans, and to just go out there and stay motivated, you know, like, look, we're on the VA podcast. And so if I'm on the VA podcast, you know, there's a lot of people out there that don't want to use their VA benefits who don't want to even apply that don't want to show up. There's a lot of, a lot of negative ideologies about the VA, but to be honest, you deserve those benefits. You deserve the opportunity to, to take care of yourself and your family and your kids. And so it's, 
it would be very selfish of you not to try and go and get the services that you deserve that are for you've earned. Yeah, that you've earned. And so, you know, look, I'm currently using the Voc Rehab. I'm taking one class every five weeks. I go to University of Arizona Global Campus. And because of my Voc Rehab, I also get an extra stipend of like $600 a month, which is really beautiful because what I do every time that shows up, I buy my family a really beautiful dinner. You know, I put, you know, I, I buy some little things for the family. I buy some stuff for my schooling. I, you know, those are things that like, I appreciate, I appreciate. And I, and I want to give my family the opportunity because they're dealing with me sitting there late at night, writing a paper, screaming at the damn screen. (laughs) But you know, there's opportunities out there. And I think you guys should really look into those. You know, my kids, you know, they get benefits for college and all these different things that if I didn't look into, if I didn't research, I wouldn't have, wouldn't even know. And it helps. All right. Well, with that, I, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the conversation at that. Rocco, it's been great. Finally knocking that, this out of the park. Um, appreciate your time and we're out. Thank you. We're out. Strength is something earned, not given. Dedication means pursuing your passion every day. Healing is something we do together and together we put veterans first search VA careers to find out how I want to thank Rocco for coming on Born the Battle for more information on Vargas you can see his list of credits on IMDB and on vincentroccovargas.com forward slash about this week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is was a mentor to Rocco. This comes by the way of FallenHeroesProject.org. Army Staff Sergeant Ricardo Barraza of Shafter, California, was a soldier who enlisted in the military immediately after his high school graduation. He always thought of the rest of his people, not to have glory, but for everyone. He respected that uniform, said his mother, Nina Barraza. Barraza had graduated from Shafter High School in 1999. Friends described him as an outgoing athlete who played football, basketball, and ran track. He was awarded best defensive back as a sophomore, said his former football coach, Belton Banks. He was someone who wanted to succeed and do well. He mainly wanted to make his mother proud of him, Banks said. He also loved fishing, but his mother joked those fishing trips were just often an excuse for grabbing a beer. His grandfather would carve wooden guns for him when he was young, and the lure of action would have led him to police work if he hadn't decided on the military. Sadly, Staff Sergeant Barraza was killed from small arms fire when he helped evacuate a building in Iraq. He died on March 18, 2007, in Ramadi. He is survived by his mother, Nina Barraza, and father, Francisco Barraza, as well as all of his friends and family. Army veteran Ricardo Barraza. We honor his service. Ready. Hey. Five. Ready. Hey. Five. Ready. Hey. Five. Hey. Oh. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a future Born the Battle Veteran of the Week so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. If you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. 
on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, get all the newest information on all those platforms, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song, and was written by Marine veteran Mark McKilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. Firefight bullets fly day and night rain. Simplify till we die another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Point, click, pull the trigger to the tune of falling brass. And a purple heart And a Russian-made bullet in my bag Raining down lead Punching that clock Get them, boys, I'm laying down Cover machine gunner bullets fly Day and night rain Simplify, do or die Another campaign Here we go, lock and load Oh, 331 Lug a thousand rounds And I ain't bringing back one so there I was um, in the room with Kurt Sutter, uh, the creator of Sons of Anarchy, uh, surrounded by a bunch of guys who have tattoos all over their neck, their hands and all over the place. And uh, it's the first time we're all meeting. I see them all looking at me and thinking, who the heck is this dude? Right. And I'm looking around like, I know that guy. I've seen him in this show. I've seen this guy. So I know all these dudes and who they are and where they've been. And Kurt Sutter says, <clears throat> and remind you, my background, law enforcement, military. Yeah. <laughs> corrections officer, right? Everything opposite of what's about to come out of Kurt Sutter's mouth and goes, I pride myself in this room. You guys have more prison time than screen time. And, every- <laughs> and everyone looks at each other and they're like, yeah. And they're giving each other kind of bumps out of like very honest, real room. <laughs> and they're looking at me and they're kind of giving me the shoulder bump. Like, yeah, man. Yeah. And you're like, nah. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, shoot, when are they going to, how am I going to break it to them? And that was a really awkward moment in Hollywood. Later on that night, we went to a barbecue and uh, one of the guys knew who I was and said, hey, man, you're a veteran, aren't you? I was like, yeah. Like, man, it's really cool to see they give you an opportunity like this. And I told everyone my background that day and everyone was just really beautiful about it. We all took our paths. We all went certain directions and we all find ourselves back in a place where we all want to be working our butts off and, you know, there's no harm, no foul. We, we all just are living life and, and working towards trying to find happy, 